Welcome to Big Questions. This is Cal Fussman, and this week's episode was very unexpected, but it took me to an amazing place. Here's what happened. I was in San Francisco doing a storytelling workshop at a company that's going to put a dent in the universe. It's called Software Motor Company, and it's created a revolutionary motor. Now, until I met the guys from Software Motor Company, I didn't know that 98% of small motors in the world use 100-year-old technology. Well, the folks at Software Motor Company have created a new motor that will save half the energy needed to power it. You want to know how big this gets? More than 45% of the world's energy is consumed by electric motors. Software Motor Company is going to save this world a lot of energy and money. Anyway, I'm giving this workshop for a table full of folks at Software Motor Company, but there was also an outside consultant at the table, a coach. Now that can create an uncomfortable situation. See, if one consultant is doing really well, the other may feel inclined to step up and make herself or himself acknowledged. One of the consultants might try to question the other consultant's ideas or even put the other consultant down. It's just human nature. But this coach played a very different game. He knew the company well, and he began to place the ideas I was bringing to the table in the context of where the company's going. It was extraordinary. This coach was not only making me look better by showing how my ideas could work for the company, he was showing me how I could be better in every future workshop I do. He did it all in the most positive way you could imagine. There's really no other way to put this, but it felt like he was at the table to serve me and the software motor company. After the meeting, we all went to dinner. Before I even knew his full name, I asked him to come on Big Questions. He immediately agreed. So you're going to hear Sherzad Chamin, the chairman of CTI, the largest coach and training company in the world. CTI has trained execs and managers at most of the Fortune 500 companies, as well as faculty at Yale and Stanford business schools. Sherzad's own background includes PhD studies in neuroscience, on top of that, a BA in psychology, an MS in electrical engineering, and an MBA from Stanford, where he now lectures. Oh, and he's also written the New York Times bestseller, Positive Intelligence, Why Only 20% of Teens and Individuals Achieve Their True Potential and How You Can Achieve Yours. Trust me on this, this guy is smart. He also knows how to use a storyline to get the most out of those smarts. At the core, Sherzad has discovered that all of us have inner Yodas and inner Darth Vaders, inner sages and inner saboteurs. And he has developed ways for us to lift up our sage and diminish our self-saboteurs. Now, there's an online test you can take to discover your own saboteurs. Only takes five minutes. It's a series of quick questions that call for quick answers. 
You can find it at positiveintelligence.com and take it yourself. I did, and you'll hear the results of my test on this podcast. Results were so dead center of the bullseye, it almost made me laugh out loud. All I can tell you is that Shirzad has radically changed the way I think, and I hope this next hour will have the same impact on your life, because once you know what your inner saboteurs are, you can laugh at them, and they won't be able to take you down. I'm so happy I can bring Shirzad to you, along with my sponsor, Sportique. You're going to feel even more comfortable cutting down your inner saboteurs if you're wearing a Sportique comfy tee, hoodie, sweatpants, or the latest chinos. Go to sportique.com and check those threads out. And as you all know, use the offer code CAL and get a 20% discount. You'll be as comfortable as, you know what? I'm going to fill in the blank with an email I just got from Naomi Tweddle. Here's how Naomi describes comfort. I love listening to big questions on my commute to work and at work, which is not very unusual. However, I have a pretty unique commute to work. I work at a remote diamond mine in the Canadian North. The mine is called Akati, and it has the historic distinction of being the first diamond mine in Canada. So I take a ferry from my home on Salt Spring Island, British Columbia, to the airport in Victoria. From there, I take an airplane to Calgary. I then transfer to a private section of the airport and get on a charter plane that flies to work. The flight to work takes about two and a half hours, and we land on a gravel airstrip at our remote camp. I stay at work for two weeks at a time, work in 12-hour days, and I love listening to the stories on big questions during my long workday. It helps my mind escape to other places. Thank you for sharing all those great stories. Now, comfort for me is arriving home after being at work for two weeks. It takes me all day to travel home. I leave work at 8.30 a.m., arrive home at 8 p.m., getting into my own bed for a good night's sleep and waking up to the smiling faces of my husband and my daughter in the morning is pure comfort. Well, Naomi, your next commute home is going to be even better because you and your husband and daughter are going to wake up to some sportique threads. Just let me know your sizes and where to send them. It's obvious you truly know the meaning of comfort. So you're going to love sportique. Okay, now that we're all comfortable, let's get ready to take down our inner saboteurs with Shirzad. Shamin. Okay, Shirzad, I am ready to have my brain blown into the stratosphere. <laughs> Good. <laughs> All right. So in front of us, we got your book, Positive Intelligence. I mentioned in the introduction that I've never really seen the kind of positive energy that I saw last night when I met. And I'm wondering, just at the start, a little introduction about where you came from. How did this positive energy come to you? Where were you from and how did you get it? 
Yes, uh, well, uh, it has been uh, many years of building into that positivity because I actually, I was born in, in great poverty uh, with four siblings and my parents in a tiny little uh, ghetto apartment, my father being a pretty terrifying, angry man, my mother running around scared of him all the time. And I uh, I was a terrified little kid, uh, not, not really enjoying life. Uh, in retrospect, I realized I was in clinical depression for the first 30 years of my life. So definitely not much positivity. Well, either this makes absolutely no sense or complete sense. <laughs> yes. Because you took whatever was troubling you early on and you completely reimagined it. Yes, and I absolutely believe that every human alive uh, would be awesome if we look at all of the stuff that has happened to us in the past and ask ourselves, what if this was the greatest gift? If it was a gift, what was the gift for? And what was the intention of that gift? And for me, it was a gift of discovering all the things I've discovered since, which is how does one shift from great despair and negativity and anger and shame and guilt and all the things I was feeling to place of great self-love, self-acceptance, confidence, loving others, wanting to make a difference in the world, all of those good stuff. I needed to first heal myself before I could do anything for others. So every work that I do for others came from me trying to figure, how do I pull myself out of the, the hole that I was in? So how did you do that? What's the first step? Well, the, the key thing that I've discovered that the short of it is that what I've now come to help define is this thing that I call mental fitness. And what I mean by mental fitness is that inside every human being, including myself, there's a war always raging between what I call your inner Jedi versus your inner Darth Vader's. And mental fitness is, the, is about how quickly can you recover from being hijacked by your inner Darth Vader's to uh, your sage, your, your inner uh, Jedi. Uh, so basically, how quickly can you go from the negative to the positive response to life's challenges? Because the way I define your Darth Vader's uh, is uh, the parts of you, the beings inside of you that handle challenges in life in ways that creates negative emotions, negative emotions like stress, anger, shame, guilt, disappointment, regret. All of those things are negative emotions and they're generated by your inner Darth Vader's. We call them saboteurs in, in our research. And there's always a better way. There's always an inner Jedi within you. We call that one your sage that can handle challenges in a way that generates positive emotions like curiosity, compassion, uh, creativity, joy, peace, all of those things. What I found out is that ultimately what I needed is to develop greater mental fitness, build up the muscles of my inner Jedi and weaken the muscles of my inner Darth Vader's who were creating all my uh, sadness, depression, regret, shame, anger, all of those things. So it's not so much what's happening to us, it's what's in our head that's determining how we feel. Exactly. So if anybody comes and tells me, hey, I'm stressed because my job is stressful. I am upset because my wife is not loving enough. I am, you know, angry because the client is doing so and so. What I tell them is actually it's all on you. A world is doing whatever world does and people do whatever they do. The question is, are you mentally fit enough to be able 
to handle these challenges thrown at you with positive emotions. If, you, if your inner Jedi is strong enough, you will absolutely be able to turn everything into a gift and opportunity, including mistakes, failures, people mistreating you, whatever happens. Your inner Jedi knows how to handle it in a way that turns it into a gift for yourself and others and keeps you and others in positive emotion. And if you are in negative emotion, including stress, it's on you. Is that because you're able to look at everything that happens as an opportunity or simply because you've exercised those muscles to feel not going to bother me? I'm okay. Yeah. So it's a couple of things. One, it's a question of which part of your brain is activated. So one of the key parts of our research is about how all of your saboteurs, and by the way, these saboteurs, have the, the inner Darth Vader's have names we give them. It's like, there are actually 10 variations of them. They have names like, names like the judge, the controller, the avoider, the stickler, the victim, uh, the restless. So there are 10, 10 different ways our research has shown that you can self, be self-sabotaging or negative. And they happen to live in a particular region of the brain we call the survival brain. Uh, it's not the fight or flight response type of thing. It's a lot bigger than that. So there's a whole region of the brain that all of these guys live in. If that part of your brain is activated, you have no choice but to feel negative emotions as you respond to things. If we activate a different part of your brain, which where your inner Jedi or sage lives, which is an entirely different wiring of your brain, you can't help yourself but be able to find the gift in things and uh, convert bad things into gifts and bring compassion, kindness, peace, uh, curiosity, creativity, all of those uh, tackling the challenges. So it's, it's a mindset, and the mindset actually is, is based on which part of your brain is activated. And uh, these parts of the brain are muscular, you know, that what we know from neuroscience is that you can actually build up muscle power in a region. You can atrophy power of the other regions. So you can literally weaken the muscles of your inner Darth Vader's, the saboteurs. You can strengthen the inner Jedi sage, meaning that you'll be activating the right part of your brain as you're trying to handle challenges. And if you do, then you'll absolutely be able to ask yourself, what is the gift here? And if you're not quite sure, you'll be curious, take action, figure it out so you can actually make it a self-fulfilling prophecy. Now, how many people have you studied in order to come up with this? So we have now, uh, by now, this, this keeps growing. By now, we've had more than half a million people who have been involved in our research about, you know, how do you self-sabotage and how do you shift from one to the other? It's a pretty extensive thing. We have included people from 50 different countries, a bunch of CEOs, uh, athletes from Stanford and other students at Stanford and uh, people from operations, sales, um, all sorts of walks of life. And what we have shown is that this is a pretty universal phenomenon. It's not just you know, the American thing. Uh, people everywhere in the world are busy self-sabotaging, creating a ton more suffering than they need to. And they just don't know that these muscles exist. It's actually, when you think about it, it's the big missing in education. We taught our kids uh, and we learned physical uh, fitness uh, in school and how important it is. They forgot to tell us there's such a thing as mental fitness, which also has muscles associated with it, science to it. And we got to be building that up because that's how you learn to be a lot happier and more effective. Did you have to leave home in order to make the leap to get to this information? Oh, yeah. I mean, um, the first time that I actually 
discovered something was happening with me, which, which was in the Darth Vader category, is I was at Stanford Business School. As an MBA student, I was this ambitious kid. I'd, made, I'd been top of my class every year, and so here I am at Stanford Business School. And I thought that these mechanisms of uh, judgment, the judge being a, a big saboteur, and I had that character running uh, the show in my head, that inner Darth Vader, but I had no clue that it even existed. So the thing that was one of the first things that changed my life that got me into this line of thinking is I was, um, there was a class at Stanford Business School called Interpersonal Dynamics. We, we were assigned to a group of about 10 people. Week after week, we had to sit in a small circle of 10 uh, under full confidentiality. And the rule was you have to tell the truth about how you're feeling about each other and yourself. And so in that context, you get to be revealed for who you are and how you're really thinking. And so what happened is, as towards the end of the quarter, after many weeks of this, uh, we were sitting in a circle and somebody turned to me in the circle and he, he was very nervous. His voice was shaking, his hand was shaking. He said, Shirzad, it's really hard for me to tell you, but I gotta tell you, I often feel harshly judged by you and it really bothers me. So I turned to him and I said, John, thank you so much for giving me this feedback. This is very helpful feedback. In the back of my mind, I was thinking, well, of course you feel judged by me, you idiot. <laughs> You're an idiot. <laughs> You're the biggest loser in this group. Oh, my God. <laughs> how, how else do you expect me to think about you? Oh, no. And we were about to move on, and then somebody else turned to me and, and said, Shirzad, John telling you that gives me the courage to also tell you, I also feel harshly judged by you. Often I am really bothered by that. So I turn to her and I say, uh, Kathy, thank you so much for giving me this feedback. This is very helpful feedback. <laughs> in the back of my mind, I was thinking, well, Kathy, have you looked at yourself in the mirror lately? I mean, come on, give me a break. Don't blame your insecurities on me. Go get a life. And then a third and a fourth person. A <laughs> third and a fourth person gave me the same exact uh, feedback. And if you can believe it, I was in such denial of this negative mechanism on my mind that I, I said to my, I kept thanking them, but at, at, I was thinking, well, it's amazing how these guys are lining up based on the first biggest loser, second biggest loser, third biggest loser, fourth biggest loser in the group, trying to justify their insecurities on me. Then what happened that changed my life is the guy sitting to my immediate left, who was one guy that I admired. And at this point, he got up in disgust and he went and sat across me from the circle. And he said, Shirzad, I am so disgusted by your inability to hear the truth that we are telling you. I can't even sit next to you anymore. I'm that angry at you. And, and he said, I have always felt judged by you too, not negatively, positively. The moment you met me, you put me in a box, put me on a pedestal. You have never really seen me for who I really am. And there was something in that moment of that passionate, you know, truth-telling that all of a sudden I realized, oh my God, they are right. I have this need to instantly judge people, size them up, find out who is shorter than me, who is uglier than me, who is uh, dumber than me. I got to figure out what's wrong with you so I feel better about myself. I'm constantly judging and putting people in boxes. So this judge uh, that was running the show, which is a master Darth Vader, it's actually the key saboteur revealed itself. It's the one saboteur everybody has. And at that point, I realized, wow, this character is running me. And later on, I, I discovered 
more and more of his personality. And I started calling him the executioner because he's such an ugly character. And so that's when I realized that I cannot trust this brain of mine because here I thought I'm always top of my class on all these degrees and therefore I can trust everything this mind produces. Then I realized actually this mind uh, is my best friend and absolutely my worst enemy. It creates a lot of lies and I've got to be very careful who is doing the talking in my head. And uh, so that later on became the genesis of all of the saboteurs and all of the work. So you discovered the judge, and then what was the next step to finding all of the other saboteurs? Well, this was a one wake-up call, but I really needed another wake-up call for the rest of the saboteurs. So the next big uh, turning point of my life, which really propelled this, is that um, I started several years out of Stanford Business School. I started a software uh, company. I founded a software company. I was in my visionary mode. I had created this amazing prototype. I was in such a positive visionary part of my, own, my, my mind that I was able to attract all these luminaries in the field, about 10 uh, Fortune 100 CEOs or equal caliber leaders became my seat uh, financers and board members. Uh, I attracted great people to come be a president of the company and, and VPs to run the company with me. Uh, so luminaries in the field were on board with me and we got a very major Fortune 100 company as our first uh, client. And so, so all of that was wonderful, positive, great. And then uh, two years later, the product was late. The client was very unhappy. Lots of things had not been going had not been going well. I was under enormous stress, and our offices was in downtown Palo Alto. So one day that I'll never forget, I'd gone out for lunch, got my lunch, came back to our offices. Our offices were on the second floor. I walk upstairs, and as I walk upstairs and uh, get up there, my heart sinks because what I see is that my chairman of the board is sitting in the boardroom along with my president, who was a buddy of mine from business school I had hired, uh, and my senior v uh, VP and another director from the board. They were sitting there wanting to have an intervention on me. What, what had happened is that I had shifted during this period of time. I had shifted from this positive, amazing visionary that had attracted everybody to this effort to such a horrific negative, micromanaging, controlling leader that, uh, that my people could not bear working for me anymore. And nothing they tried to get uh, to tell me had gotten through to me. So that found no choice but to go above my head and basically engineer a palace coup. So as you can imagine, that was an extraordinarily <laughs> painful moment. So you're using <clears throat> all these painful moments to find your saboteurs. Did it take you a while to locate your saboteurs then, or? Uh, well, yeah. So what happened is I, uh, a lot of my power was stripped from me, but I had to stay in the company, come back working for these people with the board and these people that I thought had betrayed me. So here I thought my, best, my buddy from business school had betrayed me and, and others. So I felt incredible betrayal and rage, and, but, but I couldn't walk away because I'd brought in all the employees, I'd brought in all the investors, Every this was my vision, everything was kind of, it was my baby, I could not walk away from it, even though it was so extraordinarily painful every day to go work with people that I thought had betrayed me. So the pain was so unbearable, I could barely breathe. Uh, 
And that forced me to begin to ask the question much more deeply, what the heck is going on inside of me? Why am I suffering so much? How could I cease the pain a little bit or numb the pain a little bit? And more importantly, what the heck happened to me? How did I go from somebody who everybody loved and was drawn to this magnetic visionary that I was to this horrible leader that nobody wanted to work for? And so as I did that, uh, as I did that looking, what I realized is that, oh, beyond the judge, there were these other saboteurs. Uh, I had become a total non-trusting controller as a leader. So, oh, there is such a thing as a controller saboteur that my judge was judging the heck out of everybody and me. And that indeed, I am not one person, but I am a mixed bag of two personas. One is my extraordinary sage, which was positive. That was the visionary leader that I'd been. And then there is this, the judge and the controller and others. And what I realize is under stress, that becomes the fuel for the saboteur. So stress is the fuel for all of my saboteurs to come out. So what had happened is under stress, I had shifted completely to be run by my saboteurs and that, that that's what's going on, not just inside of me, but others. So first I had to try to figure out how do I uh, shift myself back to the sage part of my brain, to the inner Jedi part of me. And then once I learned that, after a while I realized, well, I could do this for others too. Okay, so at the time you didn't even realize that your friends and those people were trying to help you. You just saw it as an act of betrayal. Absolutely, and that was make it so, made it so extraordinarily painful. And the shift... Once I was able to figure out how to go back to my inner Jedi, to my sage, by the way, I'm going to stop saying inner Jedi and sage and all that stuff. So let's just say it's the, your saboteurs versus your sage. Your saboteurs are, are your inner Darth Vader's, your sage is your inner Jedi. So once I figured how to shift my brain uh, activation to the part of my brain where my sage lived and get access to my sage, then the sage had a completely different read on what had happened. My sage was able to see the huge gift that this was for me to ch in changing my life. It was also able to see the truth of what had happened, which is my buddy from business school and my VPs and my directors were all fighting for my vision. They were my buddies. They actually were fighting for my vision. They were saving my vision from my saboteurs, which were destroying my vision. They did not betray me. They were actually fighting for me and my vision. And so I, I absolutely was able to heal those relationships. I am in great positive relationship with all of them. I love them dearly. And we talk about this once in a while and have a good laugh about it. So once you understood that, you decided, okay, I get this about myself. I can now work on those muscles uh, in my mind that I want to make the sage more powerful and weaken my Darth Vader. And now I can help other people do this too. Was there a moment where that came about? Uh, I was initially doing it just as a place of passion uh, and joy and do, doing it as an extracurricular thing. And after... Uh, so you would see somebody yeah. who, who was a judge and say, hey, let me help you out here? You know, once you buy a red car, you buy, see red cars everywhere. Once, <laughs> uh, once you have a framework for these saboteurs, then you look around and say, oh my God, everybody has these guys messing with them. And... I could not help myself but see it in everybody and realize, wow, this was the big missing in education. They should have taught this in high school. Why didn't I learn about these things? And, 
and I need to be doing this more formally for other people as, as they, they started responding very positively to it. And where did that take you? Did Into research at Stanford? How did this get started as a training method? Uh, so it, it had multiple uh, stages. Uh, initially, I was working with a colleague at Stanford, and we were doing work that wasn't exactly this, but it was adjacent to this. So there was a lot of depth that came from that. Then I became CEO of the Coaches Training Institute, CTI. We were the largest coach training organization in the world. So got into uh, the business of training coaches and certifying coaches, and myself started uh, coaching a bunch of CEOs. Uh, and their executive teams. And then when I realized is that with the very busy type A people who don't necessarily have hunger for deep introspection and psychological nuance, that they really needed something more research-based and tools-based so that the methodology of the work needed to be incredibly simple and practical. And that, that's when the light bulb went off for me that I needed to do research uh, that was kind of like my engineering days where we, kind of, we created the operating system, an operating system that you could apply to a ton of different things. So what I realized I needed to do is bring uh, a discipline that I had learned at engin in engineering, which is let's come up with the fewest number of variables that could explain all the variations out there so that People just needed to master a few simple components and then use that in applying to a lot of things. That's what an operating system is like Windows. You install Windows or you install a Mac operating system. The moment you do, you can run a thousand applications. So what I started realizing, and I was working at the time with a Fortune 100 company, helping them with their curriculum for leadership development. What I realized is they, were show they showed me a catalog of their courses that they put people through and I realized there is no common framework to them. There is one course that's about the seven steps of motivating a team, another the nine steps of managing stress, another one the three ways of, of running good presentations. So what I realized is, you know what? In personal professional development, there is no operating system. There is just point solutions. And each of these are little framework that does a few things, but not a lot of other things. And so the question that came up for me is, if I, if I do the research, can I come up with what Einstein says, make things as simple as possible, but not simpler, right? It, what is the simplest level of explaining what's happening in the mind that is not too simple, like positivity, be positive. That's too simple. That's not an operating system. How the heck am I positive? Can I be positive when shit has hit the fan and everything has gone wrong? How do you expect me to be, to be positive? So it needed to be more complex than that, but not too much more complex with that. So what, what I then did was a ton of what we call factor analysis, which asked the question on the negative side and on the positive side, there are all these variations we see, but are all these variations based on few uh, describable components? Similar to there are all these colors out there, but there are only three primary colors. When you do factor analysis on colors, you find out there are only three factors, there are only three colors. So that's the research that we did. We looked at all of the ways that people go negative, all of the ways where people uh, shoot themselves in the foot, uh, prevent themselves from reaching their potential, prevent themselves from having the impact they want to have, derail their careers, our stress, whatever. And what we found is that there are only 10 factors there. And these 10 factors became the 10 saboteurs. So you are doing it either through being a judge or a controller or a victim or an avoider, whatever. There are only 10 ways, and most people do a few of those. 
What was even more exciting on the positive side, what are what do all great leaders bring? What is the best way to bring the, the best out of people that you work with? And all those great stuff of leadership uh, and being more effective in the world. And even for athletes, how to be great athletes. And what we found is there are only five primary positive powers. So you don't need to worry about developing 30 different competencies. There are only five positive powers, which are the sage powers. So then the operating system becomes very simple. No matter what the application is, if you want to be a better leader, if you want to be a better salesperson, if you want to be a better parent, a better teacher, a more I just got to know these five sage qualities. Five sage qualities on the one hand, so you need to strengthen your inner Jedi by learning how to activate those five powers. Then on the negative side, for all of those things, you need to figure out which saboteurs you have that are messing with you. And then you need to sh figure out how to shift from one to the other. So it's a very simple operating system that has a thousand applications. Okay. So I took this test that you gave me this morning. The saboteur assessment. The saboteur assessment. It took me, what, five minutes yes. or so? Were you just throwing these questions at yeah. me one after the next? And the idea is you're not supposed to stop and think for two minutes, right? You're just supposed Keep to- Keep going fast. Yeah. Just go boom, 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 boom. And we can take a look at this assessment and maybe you can diagnose it for me. All right. All I'm right. looking forward to it. All right. So it says, Cal, here are your results. It says that I am a pleaser. Huh. All right. What does that mean? So your, your top saboteurs are... It's okay for me to tell oh, everybody, Oh, you right? can tell everybody. This, uh, uh, I'm, I feel like I'm being unveiled here, yeah. but go ahead. So your top starters, it sounds like the pleaser and hyper achiever are your top two. And then a little uh, below that is stickler and restless. So we can talk about those and totally get you to a better place. Okay. Yes. All right. So pleaser. And that's, it's, it's clear to me uh, because I'm always helping people. Yeah and I'll help people before I help myself. Right. And so is that where the pleaser comes in? Yeah, so uh, if you tell me what somebody's saboteur is, I can tell you what their greatest strength can be. Right. So a pleaser, when I hear that somebody has a strong pleaser, what I, what I uh, then know about them is that one of their greatest strengths is being empathic and loving and being about you know helping other human beings. And that is your greatest strength. So the thing is that your sage would use that strength uh, when that's the strength to be used. Your saboteur abuses that quality and has it become your greatest weakness. So, and by turning it into a pleaser. So what, what we mean by that is when you overuse that empathy and use it at the wrong time and the wrong place, you're not able to say no to people when That's you should. That's me. You That's me right there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Okay. So you're, you're so you overdo it right. uh, when it's no longer serving you or others. You say uh, yes when you should say no. Right. And uh, you also uh, don't ask enough for your own needs. Let people know enough about your own needs and ask for them to give back to you. So what happens for a pleaser is they give and give and give and give and give. They don't ask enough uh, for themselves. People therefore get into relationships where they're not giving back as much to you. And then what happens is after a while you develop a little bit of resentment, like, gosh darn it, uh, why aren't people giving to me as much sometimes as I am? And that resentment can create a little bit of distance in the relationships that you actually want to be closer. The other thing that happens is weirdly, 
people trust you a little bit less uh, as a pleaser because you have a harder time saying the difficult stuff to people. So you just say the pleasant stuff and people after a while say, well, you know, I'm not quite sure I know where he stands because he wouldn't tell me the harder stuff quite as easily. So it actually erodes trust. Hmm. Interesting. I can see 95% of that, the part of eroding trust I'm going to have to look into yeah. because I think that basically everything I do is to gain trust, yeah. but maybe I'm sabotaging myself and I'm not even knowing it. You will develop uh, even stronger trust if occasionally uh, you're, you, ha you have your sage says, you know what, right now, I should do and say the thing that will have this person not be very happy in this moment. Do you know what? That just happened to me the other day. Somebody found out that I help people tell their stories and they say, oh, I need to do this and I need the story told. And I listened to it and I knew I was, that was not for me. And I just said, no, that's not what I do. And she did trust me more yeah. because yeah. she knew that I wasn't just going to take it for awesome. the money. Yeah. Right. Awesome. So yeah. that's your sage intercept coming okay. in and yeah, saying, yeah. Wow. and saying right now we need boundaries and we need a no. Right. That's when your sage comes in and. I said, no, yeah. you know, that's a good start. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. I got it. Great. All right. So let's go to the hyperachiever. Right. Uh, so the hyperachiever, which is your next one. This is so common amongst uh, people that I work with that it's almost like people wonder, why do you even call it the saboteur? So let me talk about what that is about. So the, the hyperachievers have lofty goals and they want to achieve uh, great things. And the challenge is that somewhere in their mind, they are still connecting their sense of self-worth and self-love with uh, how much have I achieved. And so self-love and self-worth is conditional on achievement. And unfortunately, just about everybody I work with has that, has an element of that. And the, the, the key thing that I, that I want to say is that for me, a, a conditional love is no love at all. So the way the hyperachiever uh, treats themselves is almost like a rat who needs to run a, run a good race. And then you give, give the rat the cheese at the end of a good race uh, as appreciation. You did good. You performed well. That's not love. That's like treating yourself like a rat who has to keep performing and performing and performing. Oh, man. Wow. You know, it's interesting. Every time I would do a big interview uh, and it would go successfully, I immediately left the interview and went and had a great meal. It's just what you described. Yeah. It was my way of uh, either rewarding myself. Yeah. And maybe I should have just taken a walk on the beach. And unconditional love that, I, that, I, that your sage would have, would have your love for yourself be completely independent uh, on how well you did. So whether the interview went extremely well or was the most horrific interview ever did, you would look in the, in the mirror and all you would feel is deep love and appreciation for that beautiful being that you are, completely unattached from... Uh, how much you're achieving. Even if I messed it up? Absolutely, if you messed it up. That's what unconditional means. So notice you have been using conditional love and self-acceptance without even knowing it because it's such a common thing. 
there's a story I've heard about Lyndon Johnson at the end of, uh, you know, he grew up with a mother who was very ambitious and he, uh, if he got four A's and a B plus, the question is why the hell did you get that B plus? Right. And so he learned that he's worthy only if he achieves. And so he achieves and achieves and achieves, becomes president of the United States, and then he runs for re-election. He wins the biggest landslide of the century uh, until that time. And on that evening, he turns into a trusted advisor and says, tell me, what have I done so wrong that still so many millions of Americans don't love me and don't vote for me? (laughs) Okay, I get it. So that's the tragedy of the hyperachiever, which many people run on. There is no end in sight. You always have to keep performing and performing more and performing more and performing more. Interestingly, you will achieve more if you not make your achievements a condition for your self-worth and self-acceptance. Your saboteurs say it is. It's important to keep pushing you to do better, but actually it's a big lie. So I should just be focusing on the action of what I'm doing, not on the goal. Uh, set all sorts of lofty goals for yourself. It's awesome. I, what The little I know from you is you want to put the dent, a dent in the universe and you have, you have uh, great goals for... Uh, in the conversation that that I had previously with you. And I would love for you to passionately apply yourself to that goal and enjoy every step of getting to that place and not making about the destination and the goal. And interestingly, it'll make it more likely you'll achieve the goal. If you enjoy every step of the goal in curiosity and joy and creativity and all of those things, be passionate about the goal, but don't get attached to that as the outcome. Because if you fail at your goal, your sage will figure out how to turn that into a gift. Okay. I, 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 get, I get the it's principle. It's mind-bending, right? I get the principle. Yeah. <laughs> it, this is going to take a lot of mental push-ups. Well, but, yeah. Well, uh, a, a very simple example of it is the athlete. The ball is given to you last two seconds of the basketball game. Right. If you make it, you win, they win the championship for everybody. And if you lose, you lose it for everybody. If your sense of self-worth and self-acceptance and everything is completely riding on that success, you're going to choke and it's going to backfire and you're going to not make the easy basket. But if you're able to be completely in the peace and the joy of the game, Relax. you see That's the basket right. and you see the ball and you, you're completely present to just that step, not the goal, you're going to make achieve the goal more high uh, probability. Okay, I, I can buy that. Uh, it's going to take some work, but fortunately there's your big fat book in front of us. <laughs> yeah. Okay, what's the next one here? We got the stickler. So Stickler is kind of an over-perfectionist in that the strength, like I was saying, there's a strength and then there it turns into a weakness when the saboteur overuses your strength. So the strength is somebody who's able to bring order to chaos, to bring organization and order to things that would ordinarily be chaotic and pay attention to detail, bring attention to detail, create some perfection there. And it's, of course, a great strength to bring. The problem, it becomes a Stickler when you try to make everything perfect, including things that don't need to be perfect, perfect. And so what happens with the stickler is, instead of feeling more at peace because you bring order to things, you're always feeling a little uneasiness because things are always falling out of perfect order. Life is a chaotic mess. Okay. And the stickler will make you constantly anxious that you live in this chaotic mess of life and it's every perfect order you create begins to fall out of perfection the moment you put it together. 
And so instead of bringing peace to yourself, you're actually bringing constant anxiety to yourself and others who are never able to do well enough by you because the standards that you hold are such that people often feel that they're failing relative to the standards that you're creating for them. Does that ring a bell? Yeah, it, it, it rings a bell in, in a lot of ways. Actually, this shift that I've gone through in my life where I used to be writing all the time and the words would appear on paper, either in a magazine or a book. And once they did, there was no taking them back. Yeah. If you didn't do a good job, everybody saw it. In fact, if you didn't do a great job and stand out, everybody knew it. Right. So that was my life yeah. where I had to shine every time I stepped out on the page. Now you take that to the internet where people are telling me, just test it, just throw it out there. And if it doesn't work, then that's fine. We'll just change it the next day. Very difficult for me right. to do that almost after years yeah. of pushing myself. Am I in a place where I can take the risk, make myself vulnerable and say, hey, it's just a test. It doesn't work. Next week, it'll be down. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, and as you try to make too many things perfect, you sometimes actually run out of time and focus to make the few things that do need to be perfect, perfect. So wow, good point. Very good point. You spread yourself too thin. That, well, that's me right there. Yeah. That's me right there. So that saboteurs, what I talk about is every saboteur promises you some goodies. They have pretended they're your friend. In the long run, they get you the exact opposite. So the pleaser has you actually lose some trust uh, and closeness with people. The hyperachiever has you achieve less, not more, with the example of the, of the athlete that I just gave you. The stickler has you have less perfection uh, and peace in areas that truly matter to you because you're trying to make too many things perfect. Wow. So they create the opposite. And the sage would do would use these strengths. The sage, for example, would bring your ability to bring attention to detail and or being organized to the things that really want that and will take it easy on all sorts of other things so that you have peace in your heart and you're able to focus on what truly matters. A lot of this sounds like priorities, just prioritizing being a pleaser up to a point and understanding, okay, there's a line, you're not going over it. I call it... Uh, you know, looking at what is needed in the situation and not being a hammer that sees everything as a nail. So if empathy is a strength that you have, which you do have, uh, that's a tool in your toolbox. And the sage knows when that tool is needed. When is the time for empathy? Let's use it then, which is awesome. And when is the time to actually draw boundaries and say no? So the sage basically uh, is, has access to these five tools in the toolbox and has the wisdom to know which tool is needed now. And the saboteurs become the hammer that sees everything as a nail <laughs> and overuse the okay. strength and therefore okay. make it into a weakness. You know, a hammer is awesome for nails, but it's horrible for painting a canvas. So it's, it's more like that. Okay. Restless. Okay, this is the final one with, you, with yours. That, by the way, the fact that you have four is relatively common. Most people have two, three uh, saboteurs. Uh, so restless... The lie of the restless is that 
I want to live life most fully by having the most number of experiences and being in the most number of places. That's and me. Making sure that, that I that, don't that is miss me. out on if, life. If I could have a superpower, it would be the ability to be everywhere at once. Yes. And that, that is me right, yeah. right there. Again, paradoxically, it, get, it gets you the opposite in that uh, the restless has you whenever you're in a situation, still a big part of your mind is wanting to be somewhere else and wondering what you're missing out on. So you're not exactly there. You're not completely there because you're always trying to figure out what's next and what's, what, what else can be there and all that stuff. And a metaphor that I use is that it's like trying to get to water and digging a well. But then after, you know, 10 feet of that well, you say, yeah, mate, this, this is not exactly right. I'm kind of getting bored with this and digging another well next to it and digging another one, another one. You can go for 10,000 years and not get to water because you're digging too many wells and not sticking with it because a part of you, the restless part of you, lies to you about something else can be more interesting, more interesting. The paradox of it is you're trying to maximize your experience of, of life but by not fully being present to the actual experience in front of you, you're minimizing your experience of life. And the multitasker kind of thing that's happening uh, these days uh, is a manifestation of the restless in a lot of us. Most, a lot of people are becoming more and more restless uh, because of the social media and the mobile devices that we have. So we should just or I should just focus on digging that one well and going as deep as I possibly. And I've heard this from a monk who told me, yeah. go narrow and deep, Cal, yeah. go narrow and deep. Yeah, exactly. So I'm getting the same sage advice over again. And these are things you really have to work on because my mind will pull me off to another continent. Yeah. If it's dressed in front of me, hey, Want to go to Singapore? Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. Uh, first of all, most important thing we do with the saboteurs is let's call their bluff and expose them as the inner enemy, not the friend. So I want you to just, you know, uh, and you may want to give them pet names, like who, what do you want to call your pleaser, hyperachiever, or stickler, or restless? And then the, the work that we do is once you declare to yourself that, yeah, this one is, this one is not my friend, my enemy, then you become aware of the negative emotions it creates in you because all the saboteurs show up causing you negative emotion. So that then what the, the technique is very simple. I want you to just pay attention to emotions you're experiencing. And the moment you feel the negative emotions of your saboteurs, for example, with restless, it's literally restlessness, literally wanting to be somewhere else, literally thinking this is not, this is not it for me uh, prematurely. Then we want you to label that moment as a lie of your judge. So you say, oops, there goes my restless again. Oops, there goes my judge again. Oops, there goes my pleaser again. And by labeling it, it loses a lot of its power immediately. And, and it sounds simple, but- Yeah, I could see myself smiling. Oh, yeah. there, there he is again. Yeah, exactly. Okay, get out of here. Yeah, I mean, notice the difference between me saying, uh, you know, let's focus on the judge saboteur for a second. Me saying, oh my God, I think I'm, I'm gonna fail tomorrow versus my pesky judge saboteur is, is saying I'm going to fail tomorrow. Yeah, just the tone of your voice says it all. You immediately, by putting the saboteurs out there as your enemies rather than trusting them as the voice of wisdom and reason, they instantly lose a lot of their credibility and power. Okay. So a lot of this seems to me to be understanding this line 
where your strength suddenly turns into your weakness. Like you have to understand where that border is to know that when you're going over, you say no. Yeah. By the way, people can, anybody can take this test, correct? Yes, it's an online saboteur assessment, positiveintelligence.com forward slash assessments. It's a five minute online assessment. So everybody can figure out their inner inner Darth Vader's, yes. Okay. So when they get that assessment, you're not going to be sitting across yeah. from them to help translate it. How do they translate it? Oh, well, uh, for each of the saboteurs, there's a long description of these things. The lies they tell you, the emotions they cause you, like this is the, the pleaser, and it, it kind of shows you the characteristics of the lie, everything. So the, the assessment comes with a pretty detailed explanation of these things. Okay, so like the pleaser has a strong need to be liked by people and attempts to earn it by helping, pleasing, rescuing, or flattering them. I, I, I'm gonna have to go back and look at myself. I know I always try and help people. I know I want them to be happy. If somebody's in trouble, yeah, that is the best way to get my attention. Yeah. And in fact, I'm, I'm looking at that. If five people reach out to me, the one who's in trouble is the one I, I go to. Yeah, yeah. And I want it to be a choice, right? I want your sage to say, is helping this person right now the thing that will be of the greater good and a choice that I want to make? And it may be that as you're helping that person, you know, you could be doing something that will reach half a million people over here that your sage would make a choice on. Somehow I need to say no to this person right now, for example. Uh, Or it could be that if somebody comes to you and wants something your ability to say no will buy you time so that you can make a difference. It needs to be a choice. And let me use the parenting example. Uh, I have, I mean, this, I have, please say, is one of my top saboteurs. So, uh, and notice that in the line of work that I do, the strength of deep empathy and compassion, which I have, is one of the reasons I'm so successful. So my sage is using this strength as a great way for me to make a difference in the world. However, it becomes a saboteur with my son and daughter as a parent. And I've told them, I've said, hey guys, my worst moments of parenting is when I need to hold some boundaries for you and say no to you for something that I know is gonna make you very unhappy, but my sage would would need to say, don't make you unhappy because it's the, it's the best thing. My pleaser would want to say yes to you because it doesn't want to feel your uh, unhappiness with me. Uh, this is beautiful. All I have to do is just say, blame it on the sage. <laughs> no. <laughs> are you a parent? Also? Yes, I got three kids. Wait till I get home. <laughs> How old are they? <laughs> 25, 22, and 17. All right. Well, the thing I've done, uh, one of the things I tell leaders is if you want others to be inspired by this stuff, you got to model it. So I, I, I've gone, I, with my family, I've said, hey guys, these are my saboteurs. I have a judge so ugly, I call him the executioner. I have the pleaser, I have the avoider. Those are my top two saboteurs. And created a conversation that makes uh, everybody want to say, well, so I guess I have this avatar too. So like my daughter knows she has the controller. My son knows he has the avoider. My wife knows she has the stickler. And we have oh, more I'm going to give everybody in my family this test. Absolutely. We're going to see what everybody, how everybody lines yeah. up. 
Notice you're normalizing the human experience instead of saying, gosh, what the hell is wrong with you? You're saying, you know what, we are all in this human condition of having awesome sage and really nasty saboteurs. There's no shame to it. Let's work on it. What's it like when you go back to Stanford and you teach this stuff? Because it was at Stanford where it first revealed itself to you. Yeah. And, and what I find, uh, Cal, is that the saboteurs are very strong in our, our high achievers these days. And last time I was teaching this, there was a group of 30 graduate students at Stanford. And I, I gave them three and a half by five cars. And I said, you know, guys, you're, you seem to be pretending that all is good. But let's create safety for you to tell the truth about what's really going on in your experience. Because I know saboteurs are strong and they're messing with you. Let's tell the truth about what your real experience is. And so I gave them these five cars. I actually have some of them here. So what, what they wrote, these are blue cars, three and a half by five cars that the Stanford students wrote. Maybe I'll read a few of these. One of the 30 cards came back and said, you know what, I'm actually very happy. There's nothing that I, I can reveal different from how I'm feeling. But here are four cars that are from Stanford students, a random selection of the other 29 variety. One, was, uh, one said, I have a huge fear of failure and letting others down. To deal with this stress, I drink heavily. Stanford graduate students said that. Wow. The other ones uh, said, I fear that if I act as I actually feel, no one will like me. I judge every instinct I have to decide if I should hide it or not. Oh, my goodness. You can hear the judge saboteur messing with this wow. person. This one was written in capital letters for emphasis. I am rarely, truly happy. Oh, man, that's sad. And um, this last one from Stanford, again, 29 uh, were like this. I'm never good enough for myself. I am a disappointment, a wasted potential. Can you believe this? Yeah, I, 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 can, I, can, I, I can kind of believe it because... That was a hyperachiever, by the way. Yeah. No amount of achievement. Will make them happy. Is enough. That's right. Stanford graduate student right, buying into the light of the hyperachiever saying, you're not enough. Your achievements are not enough. You're a wasted potential. My goodness. That's the Lyndon Johnson story yeah. you just told. Yeah. After winning the landslide. Not enough. Not enough. Well, how can those other people have not yeah. liked me? And there is no end to the saboteur game. There's, these are monsters that are hungry and constantly need feeding. So instead of feeding them, we need to starve them. We need to say, I'm no longer buying the lie. There is no achievement that will have you shut up and let me have peace. So I need to disconnect myself from that lie. I am worthy just because. And I, with kids, I realize as parents, we forget to do this. So in order to make sure this doesn't happen with my son, he loved tickling. Uh, when uh, we, uh, he was growing up. And so I started this tickling game with him and I would teach him the stuff he needs to say. Otherwise I'll keep tickling him. So I tickle him some and I say, Keon, tell me, why do I love you so much? And he had learned to say, and he'd say, I don't know daddy, why do you love me so much? And I would say, well, is it because you're so handsome? And he is very handsome. He got a lot of jeans from my wife. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and he would say, no, daddy, it's not because I'm so handsome. And I would say, is it because you're so good in, uh, in math and uh, your classes? And he says, no, daddy, it's not. 
tickle him some more? Is it because you're so good in sports? No, that is not. Is it because you're kind and generous? No, that is not. So at the end, I would pretend great frustration and I would say, so why is it, Kian? Why do I love you so much? And he had learned to say, and he'd say, um, that is because I am me. That's beautiful. And occasionally I would ask him, so what does that mean? And he would say, me uh, is the person you held in the hospital. That person is worthy of all the love in the world, is lovable. You love that person, there's nothing I can do that will take that love away. That's who I am. You love me. And I just wanted to make sure that he grows up knowing, that's what unconditional love is. He grows up knowing that my love for him is unconditional and perhaps begin to love himself unconditionally. And so, and we repeated that throughout high school. Hey, you're aiming to go to a great college or whatever and know that achievement will have zero bearing on who you are in terms of how worthy as a human being you are. So again, lofty goal, awesome, let's go for that goal, but let's enjoy every step of the process. Not make achievement of that goal the condition that will make you worthy of your own love or other people's love. It's pretty foundational. If there's nothing else I want in my work is for people to fall back in love with themselves again. That five-year-old that they were, uh, we need to fall back in love with ourselves again. Well, I'm gonna do some work on this. (laughs) And how do I report back to you? Like in six months, is there something I can do to get in touch with you and say, okay, I was here. I followed your advice and the pleaser has been silenced. Do, do, I, do I keep a log that just lets me know how many times I'm saying no to the pleaser? Yeah, so, um, so what we found is since we are declaring war on a lot of powerful enemies, these bastards are pretty sneaky and left to their own devices, most people fizzle away in their practice. So a while back, I realized we actually need to give people more support. So what we created is an app and a six-week program, which I would love to invite you to do. And so what that does is once a week, you would watch a one-hour video about let's this week just practice on the judge saboteur. Let's this week just practice on another saboteur. Let's this week just focus on a sage power, one of the five sage powers. And then every day I come to you several times in two-minute guided coaching to help oh, you actually man. practice. Oh, so Coach Shirzad wow. is, is, is uh, right by your side for what we have found is you need a minimum of six weeks to break through years of bad mental habits, and about 15 minutes a day of practice. So I need from you a commitment of uh, you're willing to, you, that you buy into the fact that this is, this is not about insight, this is about mental fitness, and it's about building muscles in the brain. And that doesn't happen without practice. I, I so buy 15 that. minutes a day of practice is okay. what we ask for, for six weeks. Okay, I, you got that. All right. I'm gonna then, give it to you, and uh, then who knows, maybe, Six weeks from now, we'll get back together and we'll see where this journey took us. That'll be awesome. I'd love to come back. That's beautiful. Thank you so much. And already that pleaser is starting to shake in its boots. All right. Good. (laughs) That's wonderful. All right. Take care, brother. All right. Thank you. 
that about wraps it up. I want to thank Tim Ferriss for nudging me to start this podcast. Keeps on taking me to all the best places. Thank you to Randy Owens, who just emailed me to tell me he's going to take a look at those sporty chinos. You might want to as well at sportique.com, S-P-O-R-T-I-Q-E.com. And remember, use the offer code CAL and get a 20% discount. I want to thank the folks at CityWire who had me keynote at their event in Los Angeles last week, as well as the San Francisco chapter of EO, Entrepreneurs Organization, for having me in to do a workshop earlier in the week. That bottle of sparkling champagne was a very nice touch. Much gratitude to all of you who send me inspiring emails. Makes me feel like I'm ready to put a dent in the universe myself. And there aren't going to be any inner saboteurs to stop me. For that, I can thank Sherzad. See you next week. And... Cheers!